Chapter One of Unto Caesar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Thomas. Unto Caesar by Baroness Ortzi. Chapter One. Quote, Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. End quote. Psalm 48, Chapter 2. And it came to pass in Rome, after the calends of September, and when Caius Julius Caesar Caligula ruled over imperial Rome, Arminius Quirinius the censor was dead. He had died by his own hand, and thus was a life of extortion and of fraud brought to an ignominious end, through the force of public opinion, and by the decree of that same Caesar, who himself had largely benefited by the malpractices of his minion arminius quirinius had committed every crime sunk to every kind of degradation which an inordinate love of luxury and the insatiable desires of jaded senses had suggested as a means to satisfaction until the treachery of his own accomplices had thrown the glaring light of publicity on a career of turpitude such as even these decadent times had seldom witnessed ere this enough that the end had come at last a denunciation from the rostrum, a discontented accomplice thirsting for revenge, an angry crowd eager to listen, and within an hour the mighty, much-feared censor was forced to flee from Rome to escape the fury of a populace which would have torn him to pieces, and was ready even to massacre his family and his womenfolk, his clients and his slaves. He escaped to his villa at Ostia, but the emperor caligula having duly enjoyed the profits derived from his favourite's extortions hurled anathema and the full weight of his displeasure on the man who had been not only fool enough to be found out but who had compromised the popularity of the caesar in the eyes of the people and of the army twenty-four hours later the imperial decree went forth that the disgraced censor must end his days in any manner which he thought best seeing that a patrician and member of the senate could not be handed over to common justice and also that the goods of arminius quirinius should be publicly sold for the benefit of the state and the profit of those whom the extortioner had wronged the latter phrase though somewhat vague pleased the people and soothed public irritation and the ephemeral popularity of a half-crazy tyrant was momentarily restored be it said however that less than a month later the caesar decided that he himself had been the person most wronged by arminius and that the bulk of the profits derived from the sale of the late censor's goods must therefore find its way into the imperial coffers the furniture of arminius's house within the city and that of his villa at ostia had fetched vast sums at a public auction which had lasted three days everything had been sold from the bed with the gilt legs on on which the body of the censor had been laid after his death to the last vase of murrah that adorned his walls and the cups of crystal from which his guests had drunk his pet monkeys were sold and his tame magpies the pots of flowers out of the hothouses and the bunches of melons and winter grapes ripening under glass after that it was the turn of the slaves there were so i understand over seven thousand of these scribes and carpenters litter-bearers and sculptors cooks and musicians there were a quantity of young children and some half-witted dolts and misshapen dwarfs kept for the amusement of guests during the intervals of supper 
the bulk of them had been sent to the markets of delos and phaselis but the imperator had had the most valuable items amongst the human goods set aside for himself and not a few choice pieces had found their way into the households of the adiles in charge of the sales the state too had appropriated some hundreds of useful scribes sculptors and mechanics but there were still a thousand or so who in compliance with the original imperial edict would have to be sold by public auction in rome for the benefit of the late censor's defrauded victims and thus on this ninth day of september a human load panting under the heat of this late summer's sun huddled one against the other pushed and jostled by the crowd was exposed to the public gaze in the forum over against the rostrum agostini so that all who had a mind and a purse withal might suit their fancy and buy a bundle of humanity not over wretched for the condition of the slaves in the household of arminius quirinius had not been an unhappy one they all seemed astonished some even highly pleased at thus finding themselves the centre of attraction in the forum they who had spent their lives in getting humbly out of other people's way fair and dark ivory skin and ebony male and female or almost sexless in the excess of deformity there were some to suit all tastes each wore a tablet hung round the neck by a green cord on this were writ the chief merits of the wearer and also a list of his or her defects so that intending purchasers might know what to expect there were the phrygians with fair curly hair and delicate hands skilled in the limner's art the numidians with skins of ebony and keen black eyes that shone like dusky rubies they were agile at the chase could capture a lion or trap the wild beasts that are so useful in gladiatorial games there were greeks here pale of face and gentle of manner who could strike the chords of a lyre and sing to its accompaniment and there were swarthy spaniards who fashioned breastplates of steel and fine chain mail to resist the assassin's dagger there were gauls with long lithe limbs and brown hair tied in a knot high above the forehead and alemanni from the rhine with two-coloured hair heavy and crisp like a lion's mane there was a musician from memphis whose touch upon the sistrum would call a dying spirit back to the land of the living and a cook from judea who could stew a peacock's tongue so that it melted like nectar in the mouth there was a white-skinned iceni from britain versed in the art of healing and a negress from numidia who had killed a raging lion by one hit on the jaw from her powerful fist then there were those freshly brought to rome from overseas whose merits or demerits had not yet been appraised they wore no tablet round the neck but their feet were whitened all over with chalk and there were those whose heads were surmounted by an ugly felt hat in token that the state treasury tendered no guarantee for them their period of servitude had been so short that nothing was known about them about their health their skill or their condition above them towered the gigantic rostrum with tier upon tier of massive blocks of marble and in the centre up aloft the bronze figure of the wolf the foster-mother of the great city with metal jaws distended and polished teeth that gleamed like emeralds in the sun and all around the stately temples of the forum with their rich carvings and colonnades and walls in tones of delicate creamy white scarce less brilliant than the clouds which a gentle morning breeze was chasing westward to the sea and under the arcades of the temples cool shadows dense and blue trenchant against the white marble like an irregular mosaic of lapis lazuli with figures gliding along between the tall columns priests in white robes furtive of gait slaves of the pontificate 
shoeless and silent, and as if detached from the noise and bustle of the forum, like ghosts that haunt the precincts of graves. Throughout all this, the gorgeous colouring that a summer's mid-morning throws over imperial Rome. Above, that canopy of translucent blue, iridescent and scintillating with a thousand colours, flicks of emerald and crimson, of rose and of mauve that merge and dance together, divide and reunite before the retina, until the gaze loses consciousness of all colour, save one all-pervading sense of gold. In the distance, the capital, temple-crowned, rearing its deified summit upwards to the dome of heaven above, holding on its triple shoulders a throng of metal gods, with Jupiter Victor right in the centre, a thunderbolt in his hand which throws back ten thousand reflections of dazzling light, another sun engendered by the sun, and to the west the Aventine, wrapped in its mantle of dull brown, its smooth incline barren and scorched, and with tiny mud huts dotted about like sleepy eyes that close beneath the glare. And far away, beyond the Aventine, beyond the temples and palaces, the blue ribbon of the Tiber flowing lazily to the sea, there where a rose-coloured haze hung in mid-air, hiding with filmy transparent veil the vast Campania beyond, its fever-haunted marshes and its reed-covered fastnesses the whole a magnificent medley of cream and gold and azure and deep impenetrable shadows trenchant as a thundercloud upon a horizon of gold and the moving crowd below ivory and bronze and black with here and there a brilliant note of a snow-white robe or of a crimson headband gleaming through dark locks up and around the rostrum noise that was almost deafening had prevailed from an early hour on one of the gradients some ten or a dozen scribes were squatting on mats of twisted straw making notes of the sales and entries of the proceeds on rolls of parchment which they had for the purpose whilst a swarthy slave belonging to the treasury acted as auctioneer under direct orders from the prefect of rome he was perched high up aloft immediately beneath the shadow of the yawning bronze wolf he stood bareheaded under the glare of the sun but a linen tunic covered his shoulders and his black hair was held close to his head by a vivid crimson band he shouted almost incessantly in fluent latin but with the lisp peculiar to the african races a sun-tanned giant whose massive frame and fair hair that gleamed ruddy in the sun proclaimed some foreign ancestry was the prefectus in command of this tangled bundle of humanity he had arrived quite early in the day and his litter stood not far from the rostrum its curtains of crimson silk like vivid stains of blood upon the walls of cream and gold fluttered restlessly in the breeze around the litter a crowd of his own slaves and attendants remained congregated but he himself stood isolated on the lowest gradient of the central rostrum leaning his powerful frame against the marble with arms folded across his mighty chest his deep-set eyes were overshadowed by heavy brows and his square forehead cut across by the furrow of a perpetual frown which gave the whole face a strange expression of untamed will and of savage pride in no way softened by the firm lines of the tightly closed lips or the contour of the massive jaws his lictors at some little distance from him kept his person well guarded but it was he who with word or nod directed the progress of the sale, giving occasional directions to the lictors who, wielding heavy flails, had much ado to keep the herd of human cattle within the bounds of its pens. His voice was harsh and peremptory, 
and he pronounced the latin words with but the faintest semblance of foreign intonation now and then at a word from a likely purchaser he would with a sign order a lictor to pick out one of his wares to drag him forward out of a compact group and set him up on the cataster a small crowd would then collect round the slave thus exposed the tablet on his neck would be carefully perused and the chattel made to turn round and round to walk backwards and forwards to show his teeth and his muscle whilst the african up on the rostrum would with loud voice and profuse gesture point out every line of beauty on a lithe body and expatiate on the full play of every powerful muscle the slave thus singled out for show seemed neither resentful nor distressed ready enough most times to exhibit his merits anxious only for the chance of a good master and the momentary avoidance of the lictor's flail at the prefect's bidding he cracked his knuckles or showed his teeth strained the muscles of his arm to make them stand up like cords turned a somersault jumped danced or stood on his head if ordered to do so the women were more timid and very frightened of blows especially the older ones the younger shoulders escaped a chastisement which would have marred their beauty and the pretty maids from corinth or carthage conscious of their own charms displayed them with good-natured naivete deeming obedience the surest way to comfort nor did the prefect perform his duty with any show of inhumanity or conscious cruelty himself a wealthy member of the patriciate second only to caesar with a seat in the senate and a household full of slaves he had neither horror nor contempt for the state of slavery a necessary one in the administration of the mightiest empire in the world many there were who averred that the prefect of rome was himself the descendant of a freedman a prisoner of war brought over by caesar from the north who had amassed wealth and purchased his own freedom indeed his name proclaimed his foreign origin for he was called taurus antinor anglicanus and surnamed niger because of his dark eyes and sun-tanned skin certain it is that when the sale of arminius's goods was ordered by imperial edict for the benefit of the state no one complained that the prefect decided to preside over the sale himself he had discharged such duties before and none had occasion to complain of the manner in which he did it in these days of unbridled excesses and merciless outbursts of rage he remained throughout on these occasions temperate and even impassive he only ordered his lictor to use the flail when necessary when the bundle of human goods was so huddled up that it ceased to look attractive and likely purchases seemed to fall away then at his command the heavy thongs would descend indiscriminately on the bronze shoulder of an ethiopian or the fair skin of a barbarian from the north but he gave the order without any show of cruelty or passion just as he heard the responsive cry of pain without any outward sign of pity End of chapter 1